Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 96. Correspondent banking and the relationship that enables the easy and effective and safe movement of money across the globe is critical to any economic um, stability for any of the islands in the Caribbean. And so we at CAB understand the importance of it, and we have been working diligently to ensure that as many of our members have strong relationships with good, strong correspondent banks in the money centers around them. My name is Bash Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. Correspondent banking plays a vital role in helping banks around the world access and provide financial services for everyone, facilitated by issuing and confirming banks and transactions. These global networks can help facilitate clearing, cross-border payment services and remittance, trade and transaction banking to bank customers, supporting international trade, thereby promoting financial inclusion. But in recent years, we've heard there has been a cutting of correspondent banking relationships, driven by a multitude of factors. We'll be exploring this today, alongside the impact of withdrawing correspondent banking relationships on trade finance in emerging and developing economies. Today, I'm joined by the chairman of the Caribbean Association of Banks, or CAB, Dalton Lee, to find out more. Dalton, welcome to Trade Finance Talks. Good morning. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Absolute pleasure. So, Dalton, in no more than 30 seconds, elevator pitch. Who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do? I'm originally from a small island in the Caribbean called Montserrat. Montserrat, for those who don't know, is still a British colony inhabited by about 4,500 individuals at this time. We are best known for the fact that we have a very active volcano that displaced about two-thirds of our population, made about two-thirds of our island uninhabitable. That's a little bit about where I'm from. As you so eloquently stated at the beginning of this interview, I am the sitting chair of the Caribbean Association of Banks. I also wear another hat where I'm also the chairman of the Bank of Montserrat. And the Bank of Montserrat currently is the only commercial bank on the island of Montserrat, providing a full range of banking services to both the consumer and business population on the island. And so I've had a fairly long and um, you know, relatively successful career, both in banking and of general financial management, both here in the Caribbean and in the United States. Thank you very much. So could you describe how correspondent banking actually works and the role correspondent banking plays specifically in the Caribbean economy? Correspondent banking is the relationship that exists between two banks. The correspondent bank is typically the larger bank, typically domiciled in one of the money centers of the world, London, New York, Toronto, Tokyo, increased in degree, you know, Shanghai or Singapore. And what they do is they facilitate the transference of funds, cash, I mean money, not necessarily cash, but money from the respondent bank, which is typically the smaller bank 
It doesn't even have to be a third world country. It just has to be a country clearly outside of where the larger banks domicile. What they do is they facilitate the transference of those funds from the respondent bank to the receiving bank. So as an example, I'm sitting here in Montserrat and a customer would like to purchase an automobile from Japan. They would come into the bank and they would say, you know, we want to send, let's just say for the sake of argument, 20,000 US dollars from my account here with you at Bank of Montserrat to some bank and a recipient in Japan. And what we would then do is through the SWIFT system, which is an international system for the transference of money or funds, we would send instructions from our bank to our correspondent bank, which happens to be Crown Agents in London. And they would then forward that in those instructions on to the bank in Japan and to the end user in Japan, the person who is selling the car. Without that middleman, so to speak, what we would have is the economies of smaller countries, less developed countries, not necessarily even smaller, but less developed countries would grind to a halt. Because especially in the Caribbean, where we are a net importer of all goods and services, the latest statistics that I've seen suggest that as a whole, the region does about $2 billion worth of trade with the United States on an annual basis. Without correspondent banking, none of that would exist. I shouldn't say none. There are other means to getting money into a foreign country. I think most people are familiar with money movers and, you know, Western Union and entities like that. Those are very expensive, relatively speaking. I think there are dollar limits and caps and stuff like that. Correspondent banking and the relationship that enables the easy and effective and safe movement of money across the globe is critical to any economic um, stability for any of the islands in the Caribbean. And so we at CAB understand the importance of it, and we have been working diligently to ensure that as many of our members have strong relationships with good, strong correspondent banks in the money centers around. Thank you very much for that very clear overview and example, which really is facilitating two billion US dollars of trade there. I think just to add to that, in recent years, Caribbean governments and banks have seen a steady decline in correspondent banking relationships. Why has this happened? When we were first made aware of the large money center banks' desire to, as they call it, de-risk the banks in the Caribbean, the ostensible reason that was given was as the name suggests, they were minimizing risk. And the risk of doing business with these relatively small banks in the region was too high relative to the reward, right? Everything was a risk and reward. That was what was um, the ostensible reason given to the banks, because this came on the heels of a number of fairly large fines that some of these banks were imposed on for non compliance with any money laundering 
and a funding of terrorism, I'm sorry. You know, so they ran scared and they looked at their risk platform and they said, you know, Bank of Munsrat is small. It only serves 4,500 people. They only have X number of transactions a month. They only move this much volume of um, on a monthly basis. It's not really worth the risk. And so we'll do risk that. We'll sever ties with them. Fast forward about seven years, because this started in about 2015, 2016. Fast forward six or seven years. And now the rationale that is being promulgated in very open sessions, it's not really about the risk as it is about the profitability of the relationship between the correspondent bank and the respondent bank. And if that is truly the case, then a lot of the small banks in the region will never be rebanked by these large correspondent banks because the profile of the bank, the business profile of the banks have not changed materially since, you know, 2015, 2016. And so if it's about profit, then we will never be able to be re-onboarded by Bank of America or Wells Fargo or Citi or any of those, you know, large banks in the United States. I mentioned the United States because clearly they are the number one trade partner for most, if not all, of the islands in the Caribbean. That is the rationale that was given. As I said, it has changed, but we are where we are and we're trying our best to kind of move forward from it. Thank you very much. It's a problem that potentially worsens over time. Can you talk to me about the withdrawal of correspondent banking relationships and how exactly that is or could affect Caribbean economies and people? As I kind of hinted at in my previous answer, how it affects the Caribbean economies and by extension, the Caribbean people is that it, A, it costs them more to do international transactions. So the fees that banks are required to pay to the correspondent banks with whom they do business has increased exponentially over the five or six years since we have been debanked because those who choose to do business with us in their minds and on their business analysis are pricing the service based on the risk profile of the bank. And as such, obviously, the higher the risk, the higher the price. And so that's one thing. The other thing is that, and this is true especially for banks that cannot get a correspondent banking relationship in the United States, and we have to go through some other country, then there's a significant time difference between where we are and where that bank is. And that delays the funds being getting to the end recipient. And that slows down trade. I'll give you an example. Like I said, I'm sitting here in Montserrat. We have, let's say, a pharmacist here in Montserrat, and he may need a to restock certain prescription drugs or certain over-the-counter medication or something like that. In some instances, I'm not going to say it's life and death, but it's important that he has certain things on his shelf or certain things, you know, behind the counter that he can, when it's prescribed, you know, he'll get on his computer and he'll go send an, an email to his supplier in the United States. This is what I want. I want this many of that, this many of that. Here's the total. Oh, go over to the bank. Say he wants to wire the money to the person in the United States. It may take two maybe three days before those funds get to his supplier in the United States, then they start the process of fulfilling his order and shipping and, you know, all that. Then he has to pay the shippers. And and so it just slows down the economy. You know, it doesn't grind to a halt, but it comes pretty close to that. That's the one thing. You know, you think of a lot of the remittances that are done 
throughout the region for family support of one degree or another. And whether it's incoming or outcoming, and incoming is significantly worse in a lot of instances than even outgoing. The support of family, in many instances, school fees and support for kids that are in college and for family members who have migrated for one reason or another. I've heard of this of it taking, you know, up to a week or maybe a week and a half for some funds to get to some places in the world. Like we have a couple of um, young people that are in Japan. I know that one of our customers was explaining to me that, you know, it's his granddaughter and he sent his granddaughter this money for her birthday and, you know, whatever. It didn't get there until a week and a half after her birthday. It may not seem like a big thing to the individuals who are sitting in the bank and processing these transfer requests, but to the person who's making the request and the person on the other end who's expecting the funds, it is a big deal. And I think it then creates a smidgen of doubt, which is a death knell to an industry that relies heavily on trust. Banking is a business based on trust and anything that erodes that trust goes straight to the heart of what we do and who we are. And so, yes, it is very important that we have strong correspondent banking relationships with, um, you know, throughout the world. And are there alternatives? Can you look at other markets, say Pakistan or Turkey, perhaps for those relationships rather than to the United States? Those are all um, very good options. We have some members of the association who have gone as far away as Turkey in search for correspondent banking relationships. I know of one that went to New Zealand in search of a correspondent banking relationship. We at you know the Caribbean Association of Banks have just begun very preliminary discussions with the um, Africa XM Bank, which I don't know if you're aware, but you know is a bank that's created primarily to deal with the de-risking issue that you know so many of the banks in sub-Saharan Africa had experienced as well. And so they created this bank. That bank now acts as the central clearing bank for all, if not most, of the customers out of Africa. And they're not coming through the United States. If memory serves me correctly, they're going through China. Yes, there are other options. And we are exploring all of our options because we cannot rely on one country to, because it is too important to our economies and too important to our citizens. And so we are looking at another bank, you know, went to Russia. Now that's no longer an option, but we have to be creative in how we think about solving this problem. And we are being creative in how we think about Absolutely. Thank you very much. The next question is, what can we do about this? So how are associations like yours and perhaps other associations like BAFT working together to move forward on what is an issue really around those declining correspondent banking relationships to the Caribbean, especially from the United States? And what can governments and policymakers perhaps do to intervene here to help out? At the Caribbean Association of Banks, we have established relationships with a number of entities in the United States, primarily, with the focus of trying to find a solution to this problem. As an example, we were at BAFT as well. You know, I know that you were there. And so we were at BAFT when, and BAFT has, you know, we have a memorandum of understanding or we're in the process of signing one with them. 
how we're going to provide or what they're going to provide for us and what we're going to provide for them is primarily on the receiving side. They are going to help us to facilitate meetings with smaller banks and regional banks in the United States who are interested in doing business with the banks in the Caribbean. So that's on one front. The other front that we're also working on is the legislative front. As recently as last week, or maybe it was a week before, I'm not sure, but sometime in the last two weeks, we had our first meeting with a congressional committee that spoke with oversight for banking and finance. And we're trying to explain to them, or the ostensibly what we're doing there, was explaining to them what has transpired and why it is important that this be rectified. The other thing that we're doing is we've also established a relationship with um, the Africa XM Bank trying to learn from the model that they've developed and implemented so that to see whether or not that would be a suitable solution to the issue that we are facing internally to the governments within the region. You know, I think it was probably about a month and a half or two months ago, there was a, a meeting of the CARICOM heads of government and the a U.S. delegation in Barbados where we also participated and represented our members in that forum. So we're trying, as I say to my board when we meet, you know, we have to find short-term solutions, medium-term solutions, and long-term solutions. You know, from a short-term solution perspective, we're looking at alternative means of cross-border payments, right? We're in discussion with um, the two major credit card companies in the world who already have the infrastructure of card payments get processed every day, billions of transactions a day. We're in discussions with them about providing cross-border payments on their network to from bank to bank. And so that's a more short-term solution. And more, the more medium-term solution is the one I spoke about with the smaller banks and regional banks in the United States. And then the more long-term solution is the legislative solution, which we are currently working on as well. We're going at it in a very systematic way, and we're trying our best to ensure that at the end of it all, that our members are in good standing with the banks that we need to be with, um, no matter where they are in the world, just no matter where they are in the world, so that we can continue to be thriving economies and facilitators of trade in the region. Thank you very much, Dalton, for that really clear call to action, essentially. And I think there are lots of key take-homes, whether you're a correspondent bank or another financial institution, whether you're a policymaker or from that governmental perspective, and also from a multilateral development bank perspective, lots of creative solutions and ways you're looking at it from a short, medium and long-term perspective. And I think what's key here is really looking at what comes out of the legislation and what comes out of continued bank-to-bank meetings. And you have several global forums where these issues will be brought to light. And especially as the macroeconomic environment gets tougher and and more challenging for all, I think it's really clear that there is a need to act now, right? Yes, absolutely. Dalton, look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Trade Finance Talks representing the Caribbean Association of Banks. And we really look forward to catching up soon. But thank you very much for giving that really comprehensive overview of the current outlook on how correspondent banking looks with that Caribbean lens, the impact of de-risking and what we can do to get ourselves out of this problem. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, Dipesh. We're happy to to participate this morning and we hope that we have enlightened your listeners on the topic. If you ever need any further information, please feel free to reach out to us here at the Caribbean Association of Banks. Thanks again for this opportunity. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. 
Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.